Hey, everybody. Todd Conklin. Quick note. Um, I had a technical glitch, as it says in the web, with the uh, podcast 166, Scott Chappelle, and only one side of the conversation got out. And I've reintroduced it twice, but I can't get it to clean out of the RSS feed, so I'm going to have to um, actually throw the whole podcast away and, and repost it. So that's what this is. Sorry about that. I, I honestly don't know... Uh, so if you can learn or blame, uh, I'm trying to learn, but I don't know what to learn. Cause I don't know how, I don't know how to fix it other than just to do it this way. So my apologies to everyone. Um, if you, the best part of the Scott podcast was Scott, but listen carefully and see what you think. Here it is. This is the pre-accident podcast. It's going to start right now. Sorry. If you can get people laughing, they'll, uh, you know, they learn and they don't realize they're learning. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am your host for today, at least most of it, uh, Todd Conklin. How are you? It is so good to be back on the podcast with you. I've missed you. I mean, there's no question. I probably don't even need to say it. I don't even know why I said that. I don't need to say it because that's how much I miss you. But uh, things are grand, really grand. Um, uh yeah, really grand. I mean, it's 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 grand. It's grand. Today's podcast is pretty fun too. I think you'll like it. Everything in Santa Fe is going well with my life. If you've not been here, please accept my invitation. The weather has been strangely warm, um, like weirdly dryly warm, which is worrisome. I'm sure we'll talk about this more. I hate to talk about that. Weather seems like something you talk about when there's nothing to talk about. Except that it it really shouldn't be 65 degrees, you know, in February in Santa Fe. That's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, you know, 37 degrees or 39 degrees. It's enjoyable. It's just bothersome. And we just haven't had any snow. I'm not sure. I was talking to some people on the plane the other day. I'm not sure the mountains anywhere in the Rockies are getting snow. Northern, I think, probably are, but I don't even know if that's quite remarkable this year. So it's it's that kind of year. But, you know, that's just how it is. As far as um, me, <clears throat> well, I just got back from a conference, uh, the North Texas State University Health Science uh, Center Conference on Medical Air. Really interesting conference. Um, a lot of cats from NASA there, so the – the chief doc from NASA and the head engineer from NASA and, and um, an administrator was there. And uh, I was, uh, I spoke and that was fun. We had a great time. I always kind of freaked the medical people out, I think. And, um, and Scott Chappelle spoke. And so I took the time to uh, take Scott aside for a little bit and talk to him. I don't know how much you guys know about Scott Chappelle. So when I first met him, he was in, in Clemson. But since then, for a while, he's he's not Emory Riddle, and at Emory Riddle Aviation um, University, he's the he's the human factors guy, he's the dean of the School of Human Factors. Uh, his title's pretty cool. But what Scott Chappelle's famous for is HVACs, and HVACs is the um, Human Factors Analysis and Classification System, HFACS. 
and a lot of you are going to be pretty familiar with it. Um, <clears throat> Doug Wagman and, and Scott Chappelle both developed this system when they were in the military. And it's, it's picked up, and, and it's, uh, we should have a whole talk on it because it's really interesting in that it, it is what it is. It's a classification system. It's not really an investigatory system, but it's a, it's something that a lot of org- a lot of you're going to be very familiar with it for sure. Um, but mostly, what's fun about Scott is, even though we come from different worlds and and uh, live in different places, he's uh, hilarious and his energy is great and he's really fun to talk to, and <clears throat> that makes it for kind of a great podcast. And this podcast is really interesting because it's not really a podcast about HVACs, that would be uh, kind of boring and kind of a marketing tool. It's really a, a podcast about uh, about Scott and kind of what Scott's thinking and Scott's journey and where Scott's uh, been and most importantly and most interesting, where Scott's going. And I think you'll enjoy it. I know you'll enjoy it. In fact, I would I, I could put a money-back guarantee on it. That's for whatever you paid for this podcast. I'll guarantee you your money-back that you're going to enjoy it. How's that? Um, mostly you're going to enjoy it because Scott's just a hoot. He's he's really, really fun to talk to. And people that are fun to have conversations with, you tend to converse with. That's how this works. Um, it's uh, it's more fun uh, than a barrel of monkeys. If you had a barrel of monkeys, that's how fun it would be. I'm yammering here. Let me uh, stop yammering for long enough. I'm not even really – I'm not angry. I don't really have any issues. Um, I, I, I think today might be nearly a perfect day. It's 65 degrees. I was sitting in the sun. I'm trying to get my phone to work. Uh, you know, because I find the phone people, when you go to the, the cell phone store, they're super nice and knowledgeable. That is sarcasm. Um, and so I'm trying to, I I had to get a new phone. You know how this feels. So that's like a 19 hour process. And I don't think it should be, but man, it takes forever to get all that crap done. And then nothing's exactly the same and blah, blah, blah. So let's, uh, let's not talk about telephones and kite strings. Let's talk about the joy that we have in this conversation. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, sit back and relax and listen to the dulcet tones of Todd Conklin and Scott Chappelle. Hey, Scott, tell us a little bit about who you are and what's going on and how you got on this journey you got on and what brings you here and why we want to listen to you at this podcast. That would be good. Okay, so I'm kind of a weird bird in that, you know, like I, like I had mentioned before, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology, a graduate degree in neuroscience uh, from a traditional medical school, and then end up in the Navy. How in the world do you do that? I mean, my gosh, you know, you think, you know, he's going to go on. In fact, I was looking at a postdoc at Yale, and then I, on a whim, decided I'm going to go in the, I'm going to go check out the recruiters. And they didn't know what to do with me, and so they ended up throwing me in the Navy. And I signed on the dotted line, raised my right hand. Next thing you know, I'm a young lieutenant and learned how to fly. I went through the flight surgeon program down in uh, Pensacola. Um, the best part of that was I met my wife and uh, then spent the first part of my career doing uh, more psychopharmacology, doing work with amphetamine, methamphetamine, methylphenidine. I've taken them all. They're great. <laughs> no, just kidding. But but it's as a stimulant, looking at stimulant research. Um, and then from there, I went out on the America during the first Gulf War. Uh, 
um, came back, got put in charge of human factors for the Atlantic fleet. Um, so I was basically at ComNav Airline working for a three-star admiral. Put in, and basically my job was to look at human factors. Really, I became an accident investigator. So I was looking at all the aviation accidents from the you know with that were happening on the East Coast side, um, and it was an eye opener. Realized right away I didn't a didn't know what human factors was. B had no idea about accident investigation except I'd been to Monterey for six weeks to learn how to do an accident investigation, and then over the next five years learned a lot. Um, Doug and I got involved. Doug Wigman. And I basically started looking at human factors, and, and we developed the human factors analysis classification system that was really an academic exercise. We were just playing around, wrote an article, and before I knew it, it kind of morphed. It became a Navy-wide thing, then a DOD-wide, then it started morphing into commercial aviation, then it went into other industries. And that's kind of been my whole passion for the last 20 years is human factors accident investigation. Um, I've kind of changed a little. I've morphed again because I've spent my entire career looking at what went wrong, not what went right. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of folks in our field are not only focusing on what people do wrong and, as you were mentioning, you know, some of the work you've done, looking at high reliable high reliability organizations and this idea that you can't just blame people and it's not about just causes. I think it's really more telling to find out what people are doing right to prevent things from being going south. Could you have predicted that HVACs would be the size and shape and quality it was? Oh yeah. That was nobody predicted that. In fact, a good friend of ours, John Schmidt, who was kind of a he and I came up at the same time. He was at the Naval Safety Center when I was in Air Land. I remember distinctly one day, John, who's a good friend, after Doug and I had given a talk, he came up to us and said, ah, too bad it's not going anywhere. 20 years later, here we are. It's worldwide, and our company goes does well, and we're in healthcare. We're in, we're in name the industry, and I will show you where we're working. Uh, we have people from all industries coming to our workshops and taking it back with them. You know, I think so because what we've talked about, we call it red light, green light. So we use the HVACs framework and we talk about not only what went wrong on that framework, so you might look at decision errors, skill-based errors, and so on and so forth, but also what went right. In other words, what were the uh, communications that went well? A good example might be um, if you look at the miracle on the Hudson, right? So we can talk about it all day long about what went wrong, the bird strikes and no bird radar, no, no pyrotechnics, all this, all this stuff that went wrong. But what went right? And if you look at that, you look at number one, well, the pilot, the pilot, two pilots are communicating well with each other and with air traffic. That doesn't just happen. So when I look at communication failures, that's actually a green light. It wasn't a failure at all. It was a positive. So we look at that sort of thing. You look at, you know, the fact that Sully was actually trained on water landings, another positive. Not everybody gets trained on water landings. Happened to be in the Air Force. 
Not sure why you got trained on water landings. Navy, we understand. Um, but the fact is that was another green light. So it's a way of, I look at it as a way of validating my safety programs in some ways. So if I can go in, imagine if you had 100 near misses. And you go into the boss, you say, boss, look to the last 100 near misses. The 30% of the time, this is these things popped up as positives, the green lights. That safety program is pretty darn important. It's working. But maybe that pet program of the bosses that he likes a lot and you're spending 100000 a year on, not one time out of 100 did we identify that as saving the day. It's a way of going to the boss and saying, you know what, boss, it's a great program, but it's not making a difference. Yeah, I think safety safety's always been a black hat industry, right? We go out there, you go out in the field, you kick some tin around, you, you, you look at dead people enough, it gets kind of old. The thing is that I think we're now moving t- towards a more mature system in a, lot of org- in a lot of industries like aviation because we're looking at near-miss data. We're looking at things that could have been worse, but what prevented it from being worse. We're not focusing only on the catastrophic events, the fatalities, the fatal accidents. There's just not enough of them, thank goodness. So, you know, you you can still get a lot of information from going out and doing an accident investigation, looking at fatal events, but I think the more mature industries are looking at the near misses. And I think that's where the change has been in safety is we're not focusing only on, again, on what people did wrong. We're trying to get out there and get things before the horse gets out of the barn. But that ability to predict, right? That's um, getting out in front is tough. I mean, how do you how do you look for and work with organizations, industries, companies that can be good at that preventative side? That's tough because you've got to get somehow. You have to get an industry where people are. Um, what's the best way to put it? That they trust. So there has to be trust in the system. In other words, if I'm going to report that I I, I came that close to doing something really stupid. I have to trust that you're not going to pull my wings or or punish me in some way or hold me in, put me in some sort of bad situation. So I have to have the faith that when you do that investigation that I report or self-report or tell you, hey, look, I just saw this happen in the OR or I just saw this happen on the flight line, that you're not going to take that and use it against somebody. That's a tough nut to crack. And so you have to rely on people to report, self-report, and be willing to report people and the person not think that they're, you know, ratting out on it. That's a tough one. And not every industry is ready for that. So this meeting's interesting because it's a medical community, and the medical community seems to be struggling um, to sort of catch up for this for a ton of reasons. I mean, politics, financing, funding, insurance, they're really in an interesting place. You know, it's funny because they're 20 years behind, 20, 25 years behind where we were in aviation. They're kind of going through the same kind of throws. And, but if you, if you talk to people, it's not the same. It really is not the same as aviation. I think that when you look at what they're trying to do is I think they truly want to reduce the number of, of casualties, if you will, the number of people that are adversely impacted in healthcare. In my own world, in cardiovascular surgery, the mortality rate is less than 3%. You shouldn't have to die 
when you have cardiac surgery. Back, you know, if you think back 25 years ago when you heard cardiac surgery, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, grandpa's, you know, we better say our, you know, say a prayer for grandpa. He's not going to make it. Nowadays, it's not a tonsillectomy, but it's not as complicated as you think. You should survive it. And I think the fact that people aren't, now we're recognizing with modern technology that so much of this, so much of what we're seeing is no longer acceptable. And I think that a lot of the organizations that I work with are recognizing that, you know what, paying off that million-dollar lawsuit just isn't worth it anymore. Let's just let's 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 try and eliminate the the medical error in the first place. Let's manage it. Let's accept the fact that we're going to make mistakes, like we heard today. We're going to make mistakes, but let's catch them before they become critical. So you want people not to blame, right? You want them to sort of take a more mature approach to keep away from blame and shame. <laughs> That's a tougher question. I think I think you have to you have to build some trust in the system. I think they need a framework. They're already trying to do that with uh, the root cause analysis, but they took it off the shelf. They went out and they said, oh, root cause analysis, great idea. Let's go take it from the engineers without looking at it and saying, how do I actually modify that for use with healthcare? And that's kind of what we've done is we've taken with HVACs, we've had to modify our framework to fit within the healthcare industry. I think what you have to do is look at what's worked in other industries and realize that healthcare is no different than any other industry, but modify it to meet your needs rather than take it off the shelf. So many times you and I have experienced this in our, in our time. You've seen people take like um, FMEA or take, um, I, I see it now with Lean Six Sigma. Oh, let's go use Lean Six Sigma. Great idea when you're manufacturing automobiles, probably need to modify that if you're going to be watching patients go through an emergency room. How do you define safety? That's a good one. Oh, boy. I wish I had the answer to that. That's a great question. You're, you're downright mean. That's tough. <laughs> How do I, you know, because I, the gut reaction is say, being safe means that I haven't, you know, had an accident that I'm walking and breathing, but that's not the definition. If you use that as an outcome, as a definition, you're, you're going to be very disappointed when something goes south because you can be perfectly safe doing everything right and still end up on the wrong end of the, the spectrum. So, you know, I think it's – I wish I had a good answer. That's a tough question. You should give me these in advance. So what direction do you think we're moving? I mean, if I ask you, and I probably am actually doing that right now, asking you this question, what's the future hold? Where are we heading? Which direction are we going to go? What would you say? You've thought about this a bunch. I mean, you live in this world. I'd be curious to see which direction you think we're moving. <laughs> you know, I think for me, um, I, again, I'm going back to I'm more interested in looking what looking at what people have done right as opposed to focusing on what they've done wrong. Um, I think a lot of times we focus too much on on what went wrong. Kind of, you know, your idea of it's not so much that, that our framework blames people, but we clearly are categorizing and boxing the causes of an accident. And And I think, you know, one of the things we've developed is something called the Human Factors Intervention Matrix, which a lot of people that have seen it actually like that better than HFACs, which is basically 
giving them a different look at interventions. Here's the thing. I mean, I think this is really one of the funny things. I've seen a lot of accident investigations, whether they use HVACs, RCA, FMEA, pick it. I don't really care. I've seen some really good investigations, but I can tell you what the interventions are every time. Are you ready? Number one is going to be we're probably going to put a new policy or procedure in place. Okay. Number two, we're probably going to, oh, I don't know, put some training. We're not only going to train the people that made the mistake, we're going to train everybody around them because it might have spread. So we're going to go ahead and train everybody. Number three, we might throw some automation in there because it's kind of fun to do and it makes us feel like technology solves everybody's problems. And finally, we're going to hold somebody accountable because, after all, somebody's got to go to jail. It's kind of like National Treasure, the movie. Somebody's got to go to jail. H-Fix is very different. It makes people think outside of their box, out beyond those four or five things. What it does is it forces them, using the HVAX framework in many ways, it forces them to, to look at basically five dimensions. Not only are you going to look at the technological approach, you're going to look at a human-centered approach, you're going to look at task-centered approach. How do I change the task so that somebody might do it better? The organizational-centered approach, and then we look at an environment-centered Again, using those five approaches, what you'll find is you'll expand your interventions. So I'm not as focused anymore on the investigation part as much as the intervention piece because a lot of times people do a reasonable job doing the investigation. It's the intervention and putting it in and and tracking it and looking at the feedback that often gets lost on people. The issue then, I mean, when you think about it, the issue in, then is, is sort of a battle. If we think about what we've fought and where we've gone and what we've done, it's been this big battle against kind of the linear understanding of the world, the notion of root cause. I mean, root cause has carried a lot of water, but it's also caused a lot of damage. Uh, I know personally I'm in trouble with the root cause community all over the world. But, I mean, it's just hard for me to to – to push back and say there's only one cause, and if we fix that one cause, the world's a better place. Well, you know my feelings on that. I'm a big – I hate the term. Whoever coined it was a brilliant – let's face it. You come into any, any, any room and say, I'm going to tell you what the root cause is. Everybody's ears perk up, and, boy, you're the authority now. The truth is there is no root cause. There, it's, everything is multi-causal. If you focus in on one thing, you're going to miss the forest for the trees. And I think that's that's problematic. And I think we get wrapped up in trying to find the root cause. I mean, I mean, whoever came up with root cause analysis, what a brilliant marketing plan. Uh, because now I'm going to do this analysis, I'm going to get to the root cause. No. Anybody that's been in the field of accident investigation as long as we have knows that that's just not going to happen, that everything's multi-causal. So then that leads me to this question, which I ask a lot. If you could give advice, if you could sort of say one piece of information that would change the world, um, one piece of information to somebody new on this journey, what is it you would say to them, Scott? Tell me. Okay, you're going to love this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back all the way to my time at UTMB, University of Texas Medical Branch, where I got my Ph.D. First day of medical school. So I'm in a classroom with 200 other medical students. Old geezer comes out. Guy's old as dirt. <laughs> Comes out, and he, and he gets out there, and he's got his cane. He gets this huge introduction. The guy's the doctor's doctor. Been there, done everything. And he says, there's three things you need to know if you're going to be a good physician. Number one, 
dead people don't pay their bills. That's important information, right? You're thinking about that going, yeah. So our job as safety professionals is the same as those doctors in the room. Keep people alive. That's what we do. The second thing he told us, he said, keep them just sick enough so they keep coming back. And at the time, I'm thinking, oh, that's capitalism, right? No, that's not what he meant at all. What he meant was is that if you think about it, when you go in to see a doctor, you know, if first of all, you've waited for your appointment. Now you're on time for your appointment, but the doctor's always late. They take you back. They weigh you. They, you know, they have you stripped down. They put you in what we like to call clothing handcuffs. In other words, as a big man myself, they, they basically strip you down to your underwear, put, put on that nice robe that doesn't cover the back end, so you can't run away now. There's no way you'll get arrested. So now that you're in clothing handcuffs, then they have you sit on a table lined with butcher paper, like you're some sort of a salmon waiting to be harvested. Now, the best part of that is they, he comes in, he does all of his things, and, he, and the, what's the last thing the doctor says? He says, come back and see me in two weeks. Why? Because that's, it's so important that he says that because he's guessing. He doesn't really know what's wrong with you. Come back in two weeks because it's a great incubation period. If, if you, First of all, if you get better, you're not coming back. We know that. Second of all, if you come back... It means I was wrong, I guess wrong. In safety, it's the same thing. I would tell every safety professional, make sure that you follow up your interventions because you're just guessing. You can't get in the mind of that pilot or that that dead person over there. You're just guessing. And you may guess wrong, and your intervention may not work. The third thing he told us, he said, always give them a prescription. And I always thought, well, well, that's because if you go to the doctor, the last thing you want to do, you, you wear your prescriptions like a badge of honor. Look, I got 10 buckets of pills. No, it's not that at all. Why? The reason he told us that is because prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. And in safety, it's the same thing. If you, if you go out and you start making recommendations without diagnosing the problem, that's malpractice in our world. Those are the three best things I ever learned when I was at UTMB. And I learned a lot of really cool stuff. But those things stuck with me, and they meant all the difference in my world of safety. Dead people don't pay their bills. Basically, follow-up and feedback is important. And basically, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Make sure you do your homework. Make sure you diagnose the problem. Thank you, my friend. This was super fun. You bet. Anytime, time. I can't believe Ron Gant's dad thinks that sounds like porno music. Thank you, Scott. What do you guys think? Scott Chappelle. I told you it wasn't really a HVAC conversation. I mean, we could have that, but you could also look it up. It'd probably be faster and quicker. I just wanted to sort of chat with Scott because he's funny. And he's interesting, and he's a big personality, and and um, he takes a room, and it's it's great fun. I mean, it's we really had a good time. It was a great conversation, and I liked, um, to be really honest, I liked his ending. I liked the, I liked the three most important lessons that a doctor's doctor teaches doctors, um, and I like how he sort of translated those into what we do for a living. That was fun. It was a. It was a great podcast, and they all are pretty darn great. Anytime I can talk to people, that is a good time if you ask me, and you didn't. But if you did, 
that's what I'd say to you. It's a great time. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I don't know why I do this at the end all the time now. I think I'm screwing up. I just need to do this. Remember to do this at the beginning. But if really, honestly, if you're new to the podcast, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. And I bet this one's got some new people to it because <clears throat> I bet Scott brings in sort of a whole new crowd of people that listen. That's great. If you've been around a while, you're a, you're a friend of the pod, as always. Thank goodness you're here. Tell your friends. Um, there's a couple a week, as you know. Write us a review, a good review, dang it, a good review, uh, and subscribe. That seems to make some kind of difference. Until then, um, I don't know if I have much more. Um, well, no, I have a lot more. I mean, it's uh, there's some actually pretty cool podcasts coming up. I don't want to tease it, but um, I could be pretty happy with what's happening so far. It's it's going to be a good year. 18 is going to be, if we live through it, good Lord, could the world get more... <laughs> more like a dumpster fire than it is now um yeah that's a question that's not a statement it's a question until then then my friends learn something new every single day bet you did today have as much fun as you possibly can squeeze fun in in places where it doesn't normally fit and for goodness sakes be safe Good goes around and around.